on. Uh, and I'd, I'd preached through Revelation. Revelation always had little asterisks on it because I preached through the books, I mean, the, the, the seven churches. And then I stopped because I said, I'm not going beyond that. And, I, and as I was uh, looking at the summer sermon suggestions, one of the suggestions was a good old Revelation sermon, and another was a, a message on endurance. And whether you know it or not, that's a Revelation sermon. So I decided, okay, I'm going to do the rest of Revelation. But we're going to start with this, trying to make uh, sense. I'm going to give you some rules. And, and there's a couple things I want you to recognize about these rules. Sorry, I shouldn't put my hand over the mic. <laughs> the first one is, is that as you hear them, they should make sense to you. And then as you apply them, the book of Revelation should make sense to you. The book is not out of reach. It is like every other book of the Bible intended to be understood. And another thing about it, it is a book of prophecy, but it is written for the benefit of everyone who reads it until these things come true. It is not written for benefit for people who are only living in those times, and it's not written just so that we can know, because we want to know the future. It tickles our ears. It's fun to say, you know, here's what's going to happen. But this book is not written just to inform our brains. It's written to help us live for Christ. Uh, and, and, and we're going to see that as, as we go through this. So, so, uh, so the rules, let me read the rules real quickly uh, before I go through them a little bit more in depth. First of all, Rule number one, recognize that prophecy is just history that hasn't happened yet. Prophecy is history, okay? You go, that makes sense, <laughs> right? How many of you never thought of that before? You go, wow, that all of a sudden, I can understand this a little bit more. Okay, second, words have meaning, okay? And you go, well, what about the words in Revelation? They still have meaning. And we'll look at that a little bit. Today we're just you know, raising the surface, but, but that's important to recognize. Third, uh, Revelation moves forward from front to back like other books. And, and we'll, we'll look at that because there's some places where, where you may have to read it a little bit with understanding. And, and then fourth, to under, understand like, like any good book, to understand the last chapter, you have to read what comes before that. Okay, those are my, my actually there, there's a fifth rule which is, is, has to do with the purpose of revelation. It's not really a rule, but we'll, we'll talk about that too. And it has to do with endurance. Okay, uh, we'll end with a quick look at that purpose of the book. So number one, prophecy as history. Now this is a statement that goes without saying, but yet it, I'm going to say it, is, is that what God says will happen is every bit as sure as what has already happened. Right? Uh, what, is, what you read in the history book is not more sure than what you read in prophecy in Scripture. It is, it is, in fact, what you read in prophecy in Scripture is more sure because historians sometimes get it wrong. Yeah. But the prophet, God's prophecy never gets it wrong. So, so some examples from fulfilled prophecy, and, and I won't look here, look up for it, but you will be familiar with this. Isaiah 9, chapter 8, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, uh, and, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When that was prophesied, uh, that was the most weird thing ever written. It was an impossibility. I preached this one for Christmas. I talked about how impossible this could be. In fact, the only way this could possibly come out to be true is if the child who was born was actually God. <laughs> and, and that's the way you'd have to say it before it came true. But we sit on the side where it's history, and we read it, and we go, yeah, that's history. 
I don't understand why you're calling this prophecy. <laughs> because it was prophecy and it is history. And, and what we find is prophecy is history written before the, 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 the event. Try this one. Uh, uh, Micah 5.2 But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one who is to be ruler over Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. The hardest thing about understanding that prophecy is how do you pronounce Ephrathah, <laughs> right? Because, because we know what this means. It's like, yeah, this is history. When it was written, they're going, Bethlehem, Ephrathah? Uh, who is this one of old who's coming? You know, it, 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 for them, it was difficult. A prophecy before the fact is difficult, but once it happens, it's easy. It is simply history. Daniel chapter 11, if we were to walk through the the, the, the 11th chapter of the book of Daniel. It, it is, we, we, I went through this with my class the other day because we're doing, we're going, we're, it's New Testament survey and we're walking between the Old Testament and the New. And Daniel 11 has, has a tremendous series of events that happened in between his writing and the New Testament. And they, these things, I told the kids as we started, this, this is going to be the most fascinating, boring thing you've ever read. And, and, and I don't know another way to put it because it's both fascinating and really eye-blearingly dull. You know, this king will attack this king and he, the king from the north will attack the king from the south. And then you read the next verse, it says, the king from the south will rally his troops and attack the kings of the north. Then you read the next one, then the king of the north will rally his troops and attack the king of the south. And, it, and it's, you know, this is... But when you look at history and you find you can put names to those kings and dates to those events... It becomes fascinating. And, and it's all history. It is sure. It is, it is settled. It is, it is dull and exciting at the same time. What's exciting about it? That prophecy is history, that, that it simply hasn't happened yet. And how do we know that? Because we can look at prophecy that now is history, and we see it's that simple. Prophecy is history. Well, that means that when we read prophecy, we interpret it the same way we read history. We don't have to have some weird rules. We don't have to get out the crystal ball, you know, and put on a funny hat and go, ooh. You know, if we do that, we're, we're doing something wrong. It doesn't mean we will understand everything exactly the same. But when we read history, we can read, for instance, sometimes we'll read the same event described in different ways. Right? Uh, if you read where Jesus uh, was anointed with oil by the woman, the, the, the sinful woman, you can read it in three Gospels. Each one is going to give you different facts about it. We're, uh, you can actually read it in four. One puts it in a different place. We don't know if it's the same one or another one because we're not sure because it's history and it can be confusing <laughs> to know exactly what happened. But, but we find different, uh, different facts about it in each one. So we don't have to say because we find this minute difference, it's a different thing. We don't have to do that. We can, and we, sometimes we shrug. I mean, I'm not going to say we don't do that. Sometimes we say, this sounds like it might be the same event, sounds like it might be different events. I'm not going to say we walk away with 100% certainty. But reality, if you've studied history at all, you know you don't walk away with 100% certainty from that a lot of times too, but you sure understand the basic ideas of what's going on. So, so that is something that we do. And we don't throw up our hands and say, we can't know. Because God did not write it there so that we couldn't know. He wrote it there so that we could know. Revelation is an open book. When you, if you read the book of Daniel, when you get to the end of the book of Daniel, it says, seal up, seal up these pages until the end times. Uh, and, and the book of Daniel was not something for the people to understood. They were sealed. But the book of Revelation, when you get to the end, he says, do not seal the, books of this, the pages of this book because Revelation is intended to be read and understood. 
And when you say that, you go, oh my goodness, because I've always just been scared of this book because I can't understand it. No, you know what? Maybe, maybe with these simple rules, it will start to make more I'm not going to say Revelation is easy. Right, because that would make me a liar. Uh, I, I may be a liar. I don't want to lie in, in church. Okay, uh, we approach it with humility. We know we can make mistakes, but it is written so we can know. Okay, second rule: words have meaning. Okay, Revelation is written in a strange style. We call it apocalyptic style. We read about dragons and women with stars standing on the moon dressed with the sun. And we read about a woman riding a beast. And we go, okay, don't tell me that this is uh, you know, normal meaning of words. No, but words still have meaning. Uh, and these, when we start reading those things, some people come in and say, this means this and this means that. And they're throwing out meanings without any support for them. And, and, and because, but we're supposed to believe they, they, they are correct in what they say because they said so and because they are a leader in some sort. Uh, and and we're, you know, some people, uh, it chases away completely. Some people just decide they, they can feel what it means and sense the understanding and things like that. But even though the images in, in Revelation are strange, even though uh, they can be weird, even though they can be difficult to find, they still follow the normal rules of communication in that they are trying to communicate a specific fact. And the woman riding on the beast is a specific thing. The woman dressed with the, the, the sun and the moon, and standing on the moon, dressed with the sun and the stars, that's a specific thing. The beast is a specific thing. The dragon is a specific thing. And we can find the meaning. And once we find the meaning, then we can understand it. We don't have to go around and say, well, it might mean this, it might mean this. We can understand it. We, we don't get to make up what they mean. We find what they mean. What do you do when you don't understand a word? Right? You're, you're reading and you, 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 you don't understand a word or you're listening to a conversation. I'm trying to remember there's a word Joan and I heard uh, used in a conversation. Uh, Boy, I cannot remember the word. It's not a word we normally use. And we both looked at each other and we said, do you know what that word means? I don't know what that word means. Guess what I did? I did something unheard of. I went to the dictionary and I looked it up and I said, oh, that's a good word. I had a calendar once. It was a word of the day calendar, right? And the word of the day was dipnosophist. And, and I read the definition of dipnosophist. Greg doesn't want me to use this illustration because he knows where it's going. Because Greg Bowman walked in the room as I'm looking at my calendar, my little desk calendar that says dipnosophist. And I said, you're a dipnosophist. <laughs> he says, well, I'm some kind of dip. <laughs> That's a quote. Okay. Uh, <laughs> a dipnosophist is someone who is skilled in small talk. Right? And you go, hey, Greg, you are a dipnosophist. <laughs> I'll never use that word again. You, you look it up. What a, you know, most of the time when we find, number one thing, in order. This is like, like one of those top ten lists except there's four. Number one in order when you're reading and you find a word you don't know is you skip it and hope it doesn't matter. Am I right? Okay. Number two is you look at context. Or, or number two is you guess. You know, I'm going to guess it means this. Number three is look at context, which makes it an educated guess. And number four is you, you look it up, right? Chances are most of the time we, and it's number four because most of the time we're too lazy to look it up. You know, I'm sitting here reading the dictionaries all the way over there, right? And, and I'm not, I want to get up and, you know, I, I do want to keep reading because I'm reading for fun or whatever. But if you're reading something that's important and you realize, I need to know what this means, you stop and take the time to look it up. Well, guess what you can do with these weird things in Revelation? 
You can look it up. And I'm not saying you have to go buy a Bible library or a Bible dictionary. You, one thing would be really helpful is a concordance. A concordance is a book that tells you where words, what words are used in the Bible and where to find them. So you could look up, for instance, the word dragon and find out where else in the Bible is the word dragon used, right? And you can find things by doing that. So let's do a, a, an object lesson of this. Revelation chapter 12. Uh, grab your Bibles, open up to Revelation chapter 12, and, and we're going to look at two, two specific characters. One is, we're going to look at the dragon first because the dragon's the easiest. I think everybody here, and here's one where if you're reading and you're going to guess, you're going to get it right. Yeah? Because what you guess is what it is. But we're going to confirm that it is what you guess it is. Right? So that we don't have to say, I hope I'm right, I think I'm right, but I'm right. Right? Which is one of my favorite phrases. Okay? <laughs> so Revelation 12.3 says this in, in my version, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten hordes on his heads and seven, on his heads seven diadems. And we're not going to go far enough to look at the, the horns and the heads and the diadems because we, it takes more time, but we could. We can look up every one of those. But for now, because this, I'm doing an overview, we're simply looking at the dragon. And if you're going to guess who the dragon is, you're going to say, that's the devil. And you're right. It is the devil. But if you look at context, you read through and you see what it says about you. Go, yeah, that's the devil. You're right. It's the devil. Uh, so so, so you're, you're doing good progress. You've done the, you've done the, the guess. You've done the, you didn't do the skip, by the way. You, you skipped the step of skip <laughs> because it was too easy to guess and get it right. Okay, So, so you didn't skip it, but you guessed. You, you looked at context. But let's look it up. Uh, for instance, we, we get our, our concordance out, and we look up the word dragon. We say, oh, I see dragon in Isaiah 27.1 and Isaiah 51.9. Okay, and so we go and look at it, and, and the, it, this gets really fun. I love this when I'm doing uh, creation things, by the way, uh, because this dragon is a dragon. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 just, it's a sea serpent is what it is. Uh, Isaiah chapter uh, 27, verse 1, says this. In that day, the Lord, with his hard and great and strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, what's, what's, what I love about this is that it's both symbolic and it's using images that are real. He's describing something that people can relate to. But, but he says, for some reason, there's this dragon in the sea that God is going to slay. Uh, and you go, okay, that's not necessarily telling me tons. Uh, it's simply saying that a dragon is a dragon. Isaiah 51.9 pretty much accomplishes the same thing for us. But I want to look there anyway, just because, like I said, this stuff is fun for me anyway. Uh, 51.9. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced the dragon? And we find this dragon is this beast, uh, this sea monster destroyed by God. Okay, we could look a little farther. We could come back to Revelation chapter 12 because what we find is, 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 is called the rule of first mention. This is a, a rule for, for understanding these things. As you go find where the word is used first. And so we're looking back at the first ones. But sometimes we look at more context and Maybe we'll get more. So we could read Revelation 12, verse 4, 
where it says, uh, His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, uh, so that when she bore her child, she might devour he might devour it, which is gross and strange, but we find the dragon sweeping down stars. Uh, we could go to, 20, uh, to Revelation 12, verse 7, where he says, Now the war arose in heaven, and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Sure sounds like the devil fighting Michael. Uh, we could look up those, but we could read Revelation 12, verse 9. Take, let your eyes gaze across that. Or Revelation 20, verse 2, and, and it's defined pretty specifically. Uh, and verse 12, verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. And you go, okay, mystery solved. We don't have to question and guess who the dragon is or what the dragon represents. The dragon represents the devil. It is a picturesque word for the devil. Every time we find the dragon mentioned in Revelation, we don't have to guess what it means. We don't have to think we probably know what it means. It's the dragon. I mean, it's the devil. It's, it's not a question. Okay, now the reason I chose that first is because it's the easy one. Right, But it sets the foundation, it sets the basis for understanding how we do this. And so we can walk with certainty through this. So let's go and look at one that's slightly more difficult. The woman with the, the sun, the moon, and the twelve stars. Revelation 12, verse 1. Same chapter, same story. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Okay? And you go, okay, this is bizarre. Who's the woman? And people read this, and they, they and again, nobody skips it. I mean, I shouldn't say nobody skips it, because at this point you might say, I'm going to skip in the whole book, <laughs> right? And because this is too weird, too strange. I can't understand it. I'm not going to bother with this. You could do that. Many people do. I've talked to pastors who don't read Revelation because it's too difficult. And I'm going, Revelation, in case you're not aware, in chapter 1, right? Uh, chapter 1, verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Why am I reading, doing this? Because I want to pat myself on the back and get a blessing. Okay, no, that's not why, but I'll take it. Uh, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keeps what is written, for the time is near. That's the only book in the Bible that says you're blessed if you read it, right? And, and you say, well, I'm not going to read it because it's hard. Come on, there's, there's blessings in this book, and I hope that we reap all these blessings as, as we go through this. Okay, so, but, but, but you, you, so you look and you guess, okay, who's this woman? Well, she gives birth to a son that the dragon wants to eat. So there's two, thing, two possibilities that jump up, and you can guess, well, it's Mary or it's Israel. Those are the two guesses that you, that maybe there's another guess, you can just go some unnamed woman uh, uh, that I don't know, but, but those are the two that make sense. You can guess it's Mary or it's Israel. You read through the context a little farther, and as your mind is bouncing them back, it might be difficult, but let's look it up. How do you look this up? Well, you might have to know a little bit, and this flashes back to, it makes more sense if you've read the rest of the book because this is a little bit difficult to look up. But if you looked up and you found Genesis chapter 37, right? So turn back to Genesis chapter 37. And you go, wow, you're taking us back to Isaiah to understand Revelation? You're taking us back to Genesis to understand Revelation? Yeah. Yes. That's the whole point. Uh, not the whole point, but that's a big point of what's going on here. Revelation's at the end of the book. If you want to make sense of the end of the book, you read the rest of the book. Okay, Genesis chapter 37 has this picture, and, and Joseph is dreaming. This is Joseph in the coat of many colors. And in fact, this is what got Joseph in trouble with his brothers. 
Joseph, or Joseph chapter 27, Genesis chapter 37, uh, let me read verses uh, seven, or nine, through t- 9 and 10. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. I'm thinking, Joseph, keep your dream to yourself. <laughs> but on the other hand, it is prophecy. It is prophecy. And, and it's important to share prophecy. Then he dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. That sounds really similar, doesn't it? Uh, But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous and determined to do him harm. Uh, Okay, so so Joseph, they immediately understood this dream to represent Isaac and Rebekah and their 11 sons bowing down to the one son who were represented by the stars and the sun and the moon were eyes. And they immediately understood that. What, that is Israel. That is Israel. That is the very seed and basis of where the 12 tribes of Israel came from. And this woman represents Israel. And how do we know? Because we looked it up. And what we find is there are a lot of weird symbols in Revelation, but they are not beyond knowing. And when I say beyond knowing, I mean not beyond guessing at. They are, I mean, if you want to guess at them, they are beyond guessing. You'll make wrong guesses. But when you research and look them up, and you can say, well, that makes Revelation a lot of work. Yeah. It is hard, but it's worth it. There is value in, there is value in, you know, I was once, uh, Every now and then I read big fat books for fun. Not too often, but I've got one now that I'm reading for for fun that I'm 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 really glad I'm almost toward the end. And and my son Josh, who was in high school at the time, says, Dad, why would you read such a big book? I said, Josh, why would you eat a big box of candy? (laughs) (laughs) Because there's more goodies, you know? know, No, I just want a little box of candy. You ever get a teenager to say that, right? yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so revelation is work, but it's worth it. Uh, and, and so that's what we find. You might have to work to find the meaning of some of these words, but even in revelation, words have meaning, and they can be understood, and it is worth doing the work to understand what is written. And the next is revelation is in order. Now, now this can be a little bit confusing and complicated because of what it does, but I'll explain that too. But it is sequential. It's written in order. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. 19. Revelation does another thing that's really handy for us that, that uh, most books of the Bible don't do for us. Revelation in verse, chapter 1, verse 19 gives us the outline of the book. This is the order the book is being written in. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. In other words, Revelation 1 through 18, 1, verses 1 through 18. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. So he wrote what he had seen to that point. Verse 19, the things uh, and uh, those that you have seen, those that are, meaning the things that were taking place at that time, we find that represented in the seven churches. And then when we get to chapter 4, we find uh, the things that are to take place after this. We have an order, an outline of the book of Revelation, and it's given in order. 
right? And it doesn't say, and everything will be in order, but it sets a pattern that these things are happening in order. The things that you have seen, the things that are, and the things that are going to take place. And Revelation, the book, gives us an order. It is sequential. Events transpire in the way they're presented. Now, this, this and I'm going to explain some places where it sounds like it doesn't. And you go, I'm not sure. That this, is that like any good book, scene of action changes, right? You're reading a book. Let's see. Did I, yeah, the hero is hanging over the burning lava by a rope that is starting to fray. And you turn the page, and his best friend is eating ice cream with a pretty girl. <laughs> because what? He's cha- it's something that's happening at the same time, and it's important to the story as it proceeds, but it's happening in a different scene, and something else is going on. And, and, and what, what, what does it tell us? It tells us the best friend ain't coming to the rescue. <laughs> you know? So we, you turn another page, and what do you find? His faithful steed is rushing furiously up the hill. <laughs> you know? He's going to save the day, the horse. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, it's, and so what is the, what's the book doing? It's changing scenes. Well, guess what? Revelation does that. The Revelation is telling us of worldwide events of an epic scale. Yeah, it changes scenes. And so it says, here's what's happening. And by the way, it doesn't use the words, by the way, at the same time, but it does something really interesting. Uh, when it talks about the second half of Revelation, it gives time periods. And sometimes it will say, is it 1,240 days is three and a half years? I think so. And sometimes it will say 30, uh, 42, 42 months. My little brain is being fried up here, okay? Uh, and sometimes it will say a time, times, and half a times. Each one of them represents three and a half years. And each one is another way of saying, meanwhile, at the same time. And it's giving us uh, events that are happening at the same time. And it's just telling us, here's another way of looking at it, or here's another thing that's happening, because we're looking at a worldwide scale of epic proportions, major things happening, different players on the field. And so it is, it is giving us events, but it hasn't changed the order of events. It's not saying, you know, we're looking at this, and now we're going to go backwards, and now we're doing this. And so it it actually makes sense. Revelation is a book of grand things. And so some things are happening at the same time. Other things are happening. We're going to find two men prophesying at the temple. At the same time, the Antichrist is rising to power. At the same time, people are taking or not taking the mark of the beast. At the same time, Israel is being protected in the wilderness. Right? Very different events told. They're not told, and there's no phrase where it says, and in the meantime, at the same time, these different things are happening. But it has ways of indicating it, and it makes it make sense. You go, oh, they're happening, and it's just describing it in a different way. And there are times when it has explanations of what we have seen, I think. When it starts talking about uh, the woman riding the beast and how she's hated by, by the kings and, and, and thrown down and, and things. I think it's, it's maybe doing a... Ex, ex, now that it's gotten to the point where these things have happened, it can explain what's been going on. But you have to get to that point before it makes sense. Uh, these things make more sense after actions than before them. Uh, so it's not, it may, may not be explaining what's happening next, but what has already happened. Uh, and so recognizing Revelation is written in order helps it make sense. So, so, so we have, have so far... Um, um, what was my first point? I got <laughs> oh, prophecy is history. Prophecy is history. Words have meaning. It's written in order. Okay, Revelation is the end of the book. Okay, the end of the book makes a lot more sense if you haven't read what comes before. Uh, it makes a lot less sense if you haven't read what's once. Okay, kids, moms and dads, if you want to cover up your kids' ears, I'm going to tell you how to cheat on, on, a, on a book review. <laughs> okay, uh, if you want to cheat on a book review, read the first chapter. Read the last chapter, read the table of contents, you can probably pass the class. 
okay? If you want to just pass. <laughs> I, I told you to cover their ears. <laughs> oh, okay. But if you really want to understand a book, I mean, if you, want, if you want to read the Cliff Notes of Revelation and walk away with a Cliff Notes blessing, you know, that, then you, you can do that. That's what most people do. That's what most people do. And they walk around saying, man, I still don't get it. I'll be honest with you. Last year we did Revelation class, and at the end of the class, a couple of the kids came after me, and you know what? They said, you know what? Revelation is my favorite book. Yeah. Why? Because it, made, it actually makes sense. And it makes the rest of the Bible. You know, it's the capstone that, that holds everything together and ties it together. There are things that we will, will make sense. Watch, watch this, okay? Uh, uh, much of Revelation, uh, i got to read my notes first. Uh, much of Revelation only makes sense in light of other parts of the Bible. We've seen some of that. But, but, uh, and, and I trust, by the way, you'll be blessed as we piggyback on this. But, but uh, try this. Um, the dragon. I, I, I thought I wrote this down, but I don't see it, so I want to explain this. The dragon in Revelation 12 that we talked about, right? And then in researching that, we find in Isaiah, he's also called the serpent. And when I call him the serpent, you say, yes, he is the serpent. And then your mind goes back to Genesis chapter 3, where the serpent came and tempted Eve. And it's pulling things together, and you go, wow, I don't know if I've ever seen that before. I don't know if I've, this is, this is making connections in ways, and, it's, and at the same time you go, it's kind of obvious, I knew that was the devil, I, I already knew that, but, but somehow in tying it together, it's almost like tingle time up your back, you know, and, and, and uh, Robert McDowell's here, he'd say, I'm getting holy goosebumps, <laughs> uh, and uh, holy ghost bumps, sorry. <laughs> I just misquoted Robert, he's going to beat me up, okay, um, and, and what we see is we start receiving the blessings uh, that it promises, even as we read it and gain understanding, but because we've done the work. Uh, it makes more sense, and it brings more blessing. Okay, now I want to close. That, so I've got the four, the four points. The, the uh, history is prophecy. Prophecy is history written in, in advance. Words have meaning. It's written in order. Revelation is the end of the book. It makes more sense if you're familiar with the rest of the book. But the fifth thing the one that I want to end is, is, is the purpose of Revelation. What is the purpose of Revelation? And most of you should be able to say, with, with a little thought, say, Jesus wins. Right? Jesus wins. Jesus wins at the end. And we walk away with confidence of that. But that is not the entire purpose of Revelation. It is not relax because Jesus wins. It is exactly not relax because Jesus wins. Look, look real quickly. And, and, and by the way, as I go through, through Revelation, this time I'm not going to go do the five churches, or the seven churches, because I've done them, but I'm going to, to hit them right now real quickly. All seven churches. There, there, there's a pattern in what is said to the seven churches, right? To the church of Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, says this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers... I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation chapter 2, verse 11, to the church of Pergamum. Uh, I'm sorry, to the church of Smyrna. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, to the church of Pergamum. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers 
I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone. Chapter 2, verse 26, the church of Thyatira. The one who conquers and who keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And, and I, I'll, I'll stop there, but I could do the rest of the churches. In each one, there's that phrase, to the one who conquers, these things will be given. Now, this is not uh, salvation, by the way. Salvation is the reward. What, is, what does the Bible say? Uh, for for uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. The gift is something that is given to you. The reward is something that you earn. I was in the army. Everybody in the army gets a uniform. Not everybody gets a medal, right? You earn a medal. You're given the uniform, you earn the medal, right? Some guys earn a lot of medals. Some guys, everybody walks away with a marksmanship medal. I walked away with a marksmanship medal and one other. (laughs) Three years in the Army. I didn't do much to get medals. I was a supply clerk in an MP company. It was really easy. Uh, It was not dangerous. I did not do bold and daring things, (laughs) right? While other guys are going out and they walk away with the whole salad bar that you look and you go, are those real? Did you really earn all those? And, and, and they go, yeah. And they could tell you what each one of them is for. Medals are earned. Uh, uniforms are given. Right? You, to get, salvation is given you as a gift, but to him who overcomes. And what we find is Revelation is a book of continuing, per- persevering in the face of danger. We find people not taking the mark of the beast. We find people not yielding to, to the will. We find people persecuting and pe- pe- people being martyred. And why do they do it? Because Jesus wins in the end. Right? We find what is, I think, maybe the most awesome verse, one of the most awesome verses in the Bible, Revelation 12, 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. What a powerful phrase. Revelation is not a book. Because Jesus wins, we persist in the battle. Not because Jesus wins, we bow out of the battle. Right Now, this is a message that... that will absolutely be necessary for those people living in the tribulation times. But it is a book that has blessed people living in persecution throughout the planet since it was written. And it is a book that is written for us to me to know and understand and apply today, right? To be ready to live out today. Uh, it's, a, you know, it's a reminder that Jesus wins. And because he wins, we do not give up the fight. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the blessings you give us. I thank you for all the things you put into our lives. And I thank you for this word. And I pray that you will bless us as we tour through the book of Revelation. Father, that you will speak to us. That we will understand that it will make sense and it will carry blessings. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.